So good morning, Pastor Marshall. We're in a series called Irresistible that we're kicking off today. And in the in this summer series, I want to encourage you to get the book, to get the book. I want to encourage you to, we don't have any more. I had bought some um, and brought some and put them out for, for purchase, but they're all gone, I believe. And uh, you can find the books online uh, if you have a Kindle like me account. If not, you might want to get one because books are so much easier when you can look on your phone on your Kindle and, and pull it up and highlight. Um, here's some reasons why you need to read um, in the summer as well. Here are some reasons. Reading improves our memory. Did y'all know that? Reading improves your memory. Reading helps you focus and reading reduces stress. Yeah, that's why y'all need to read. It reduces stress. And reading makes you smarter. So with that being said, we're going to enter this series um, called Irresistible. And I want to do a little bit of an introduction um, with encouragement behind it. Um, that's the flavor for today. And with this series, what I want to do is I want you to look at how Andy Stanley gives the history of the Bible in a fresh way so he can take you into the deeper depth of what God has for you with this with this book series. So Andy Stanley, he starts off, he tells us a story in the book about um, his trip to China. And on this trip to China, if you've read, and, and I don't care, I, I want you to read ahead. I, there's not, you know, a, a, a format to what we're doing as far as reading, you know, one chapter here and wait for the next week. I'm just going to lift out different things each week for the next six weeks. Um, what I feel that God wants us to have. But anyway, so Andy Stanley, he's on a trip to China and it changes the game for him. He meets this young lady who's trying to get to church and she goes, you know, several hours to get to church and and she asks him a question one day. She asks, you know, why doesn't um, people in America go, go to church? You know, she's trying to get to church and, and she's, she's got all these things up against her, but yet she's going and she yet she's asking the question, why don't people in America go to church? And they said it bothered him, so he wrote this book. And actually, if you follow his ministry, Andy Stanley, for the last five years, he's been talking about this very thing that we're going to go into for this series. But there's, there's something that led me to the series that has been bothering me, too. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. Because I see people who say they love God. Um, I know people who say they love God. I'm friends with people who say they love God. And yet, not judging um, their lives to some degree, but in some degree I am, um, there's no commitment. There's a lack of commitment. Um, not only is there a lack of commitment, there are some that are falling away. You know, and they're, they're good for a while. They start off the first of the year, and they're, they're loving God, and they're serving God, and they're reading the Bible, they're praying. Um, they're bringing friends to church, and, and God's blessing their family or whatever. And then by the end of the year, some don't even make it that far. Um, and that's what's been bothering me. And I said, God, you know, in our church, as we start our church, I, I, I'm hoping that we can get people that, that are committed to you for the long term. I'm hoping that we can get people that, that have a fire and a passion who say they love you in the long term. Because other people are resisting what they see in our lukewarmness as Christians. They're resisting God. 
And so church is no longer uh, no, no longer um, irresistible when it should be irresistible. And it starts with us. And so we don't have to we don't have to look at a church far, far, far away from here. We can look right here in our seats. Some of you know people who are no longer going to church. Some of you know who know people whose faith isn't working anymore. Right. Some of you know people who who doesn't really live it or give it like they should. Um, and like I said, this is no uh, this is no intentionality behind those that, who aren't here today because this this weekend was a perfect storm, like I said, of different situations that, that, that came up even for our regulars. Um, but it's unfortunate. So this week um, I, I'm talking to a very good friend of mine. Uh, I'm, I'm saddened by it, but I'm talking to a very good friend of mine on Tuesday who uh, who who attends or used to attend one of the largest churches in, in Tidewater. It's a mega church. And um, he served there. His wife served there and um, reached out to me and 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 he's struggling. Uh, I wouldn't even say struggling. He just pretty much turned his back on on God. He said he doesn't believe anymore. And uh, so that's impacting his family. That's impacting everything. You know, he was serving. The, the pastor I know is, is phenomenal. Um, but something happened. And he's turned his back on God. The love is no longer there. He's questioning everything. And I know if we're not careful, some of us will be in that very same boat because of life situations and we start to resist the thing that should be irresistible. And that's our love and our passion for God. So how does this happen? How does this happen, church family? Life starts to come up and life starts to happen. um, Some people go to school like myself and you go into seminary and you start reading that there's other books of the Bible and and, and you read the teachings of Thomas and that all the teachings of Jesus, but yet it's not in the, it wasn't in the canosity of the Bible when they formed the Bible together. And you start questioning these things. I thought the Bible was inerrant, you know, without flaw, without error. And, 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 and some people, not even that. Some people just, well, God's not blessing me. I'm not getting promotion. I'm not getting raises. I got divorced. I got a situation, whatever. And they start blaming God to that. For whatever reason, people are done with God. They're done with church. For whatever reason. You know, we can't start this race off, you know, strong and passionate. And then by the end, by the time we face God, you know, we've, we've already turned away and we've done it our way because we felt like it didn't work anymore. I don't want that to be us. And so this uh, summer book series was birthed out of that passion of I want y'all to get it. I want y'all to stick. I want you to be irresistible. When people see you, they don't really see you. They don't see Marshall. They don't see Karen. They don't see Carmen. They don't see Eugene. They see God, Christ-like love and passion in you, fervent, and not just going dim. You're not a light that's supposed to go dim. We're a light that's supposed to shine bright in darkness, in darkness. If there's no darkness, why do you need light, right? Okay, that's for free. So Andy Stanley, what he does, he notes, the decline of Christianity in America is due to the popularity of atheism, and many more who are done, they call them the nuns and duns, who, are, not, who are, are done with church. They don't have nothing to do with church anymore. And that's a popular thing. The nuns and duns outnumber out those who don't believe for, and, and, and never believe. Those that came to Christ, know Christ, are in church, 
and then turned away. Those, that, the stats on that, you can Google it. Any, I challenge you to Google it. The nuns and the duns out, statistically outnumber those who never even knew God, who never even gave them a, chi- a chance. So this is real stuff, you guys. Real stuff is happening. Real life is happening to people, and the darkness, for whatever reason, just makes people give up and throw their hands up. So in this series, I want to stimulate. I want to stimulate what we believe and help our faith to become solid and irresistible again and continue to be irresistible for the long term. So I'm excited that you're here, and I'm happy to get on this journey. Are you excited about the journey? Um, so resistance to faith is nothing new. The first thing you need, to, you need to know, resistance to faith is nothing new. As we look back in biblical history, one of the popular resistors to Christianity was the resistor named Paul, who formerly went by the name Saul. Now, this, this joker here, he was, he was full on, like some of us as fans, we're, he was like full on committed to what he did. Some of you party, you were full on. If you wasn't there, you, the people didn't want to go to the party. Some of you were like me that, you know, you like to have life, at, you know, live life to the fullest. That was Paul in his Juda- Judaism faith. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader in the Pharisee realm. He was educated several degrees. He was more zealous than everybody else. He spoke different languages. Paul was all in. But something happened. Something happened that, that, that turned him around when it, came to Christ, when it came to his Christianity. In Acts 9, we're going we're gonna to take a look at that. Acts 9, look with me at what happens. It says, and this is a familiar story to some, but I'm going to introduce it to others. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Whose followers? The Lord's. The Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, and this is what he requested. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. Y'all, y'all know the story that he went off to Damascus. On the Damascus Road, something happened. But did you know he asked for permission where he was going to go? He wanted permission that he won't be hindered. He's all in, right? He, he's going to go hurt some people. He's going to arrest some people. So it says he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, to the churches there, to the leaders, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. The followers of the way were the, were the ter- was the term that they called Christians back then. When Jesus comes on the scene, you know, there, there were a little small young cult called the way. They didn't follow um, the Roman uh, and all the other teachings of the day. So followers of the way, any followers of the way he found there, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Paul was no joke. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. This was Jesus, the presence of Jesus. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, he had a personal encounter with with Christ, with Jesus, and it changed his life. Chapter 9 goes on to speak of Paul's conversion to Christianity. And in 24 hours, in one day, Paul's life changed. Now, some Jews didn't believe him because they wanted to see, was this real? Because this dude was zealous for, for, for Judaism. You know, he, he was, you know, when you heard his name, you didn't want to be around in the city because you were getting locked up. Um, but at the same time, the Christian following began to grow. Now, people were cautious and they, and they were resisting him. But at the same time, because now he's preaching Jesus and, and something's happened to him, the following 
in these this different little cities, in different little homes. You know, churches back in those days, they didn't meet in a, in a big place like this. They met in little, little house churches, little homes around the city. So more and more people start hearing, hey, did you see what, did you see what happened? Do you know Don? You know how he used to get down? But man, he's preaching Jesus now. But what, what? They come in there, they're looking, they're checking him out. <laughs> Do you know Marco? You know he followed Jesus now? And so people were coming, and, and, and lives were changing. But some of the Jews didn't want to didn't have nothing to do with that. And some of them were jealous and wanted to hurt him. And so I wondered, what made Paul go from resistible, resistible to irresistible? And Andy Stanley in his book, where he, he, he explains, he expounds on that. What made him go from, irresist, from resistible to irresistible? So I titled our talk from the thought, Simply Resistible. Of our two grandbabies, you know, we have Stella, who y'all see on the regular, and um, we have Naya in South Carolina. Stella's the, uh, the eldest of the two grandbabies. And again, congratulations to the, the new grandparents in the, in the room, the Hughes family. Um, um, of our two grandbabies, Stella is simply adorable. I love her, but she does something that's embarrassing. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes when you go to give her something, it could be a snack, a toy, or whatever. Sometimes, or even you just hold your arms out, she'll do what this, do this little thing that seems cute at first. Like she'll wave you off. You know, if she don't want the snack, she don't want the candy, the toy. She'll like, and it seems cute at first. Is she how she waves you off? You know, like she's resisting it until you're in public. Now in public, you don't want to reach for her. Hey, baby. Or, or give her something and she resists <laughs> and, and starts waving you off and shaking her head no and waving her hand no, resisting. Um, but we, we, we unfortunately do the same thing when it comes to our faith. Today, people resist change as much as they resist their faith because they no, no, because they no longer, we need some water here, because they no longer see the value of it. Like my grandbaby. We can say, hey, how um, important this is, or we can, we can show how important something is or whatever. But when people see no value in it anymore, they start to resist it. They start to wave it off again, like Stella does. Um, um, and and we, we've forgotten that um, what is valued is based on usefulness. So even when it comes to faith, I have a question I want to ask you guys. What? is useful about your faith? Or shall I ask it this way? How useful is your faith? And I think that's the underlining thing that people are dealing with when they're, de- when they're living in the darkness and they're trying to be the light of Christ on, on the job, at home, you know, in, 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 in their personal lives. But I think that's the problem. At some point, people find no usefulness of their faith because they're not really practicing it. They're not cultivating that that. That, that, that desire to grow, that commitment to grow. And so when I find that my faith isn't, isn't useful, God's not answering my prayers. It, it, they, they don't care if I'm in church or out of church. Um, for whatever reason, when people find that their faith is not useful, they turn away from it. So what, what Paul experienced in the DR on the Damascus Road um, was a conviction and a conversion. He experiences a conviction and a conversion on the Damascus Road 
with Jesus, and something happened which, which caused him to, and I'm giving you my first point, which caused him to value the experience with Jesus. And you have to understand, if you've ever experienced Christ, and some of you probably haven't yet, but if you ever experienced Christ, you got to remember how it happened. You got to remember when it happened. You got to remember the experience, the feeling, what happened. I was here. I was washing the dishes. My pastor growing up, uh, my pastor said he was on his way to Bible college. He was driving back to college and, and it was a thunderstorm. And he said in the, in the storm and the sheets of rain, he felt the conviction of God on his heart. For I guess for whatever he's listened to, some preaching or whatever on the radio. And he pulled over on the side of the road. He got down on his knees and in, in, in the rain, he asked Jesus into his life. And he was changed right there. Paul had a conversion. It seemed dramatic in the text, but Paul had an experience that he valued. So the value, he valued the experience with Jesus. Let me, understand, let me, let me teach a little bit real quick. A conviction is a feeling. Y'all know that, right? A conviction is a feeling. A feeling is a deep sense of need, a need for something that only God can provide. That's what a conviction is. That you, you have this thing, this feeling going on inside of you, and you know that, that the more money won't satisfy it, a new car won't satisfy it, a new man, a new girl in your life won't satisfy it. And, 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 and you have this encounter. God starts speaking to your mind and your heart, and you, and you, give, yourself, you give yourself over to God. You could be listening to worship music, to preaching, whatever. And you have this encounter with God that you yield your life over to him. And that's an experience that you have to hold on to. You have to remember how it happened. You have to remember when it happened. Paul valued his experience with Jesus first. So it lets me know that change is a necessary result of Christianity. You can love God. You can know God. The, the devil and his, and his angels know him. The scripture says that. You can know God and you can value God. But if you've never experienced a conversion, a conviction where things have changed, then you haven't given your life to Christ. <sighs> Andy Stanley notes further, he says that rather than churches working hard to make church more interesting, and that's, and that's what's been happening all over North America, rather than making churches, uh, working hard to make church more interesting, churches need more people who have changed and find their faith useful. Because you'll eventually misuse, you'll eventually misuse what you found once useful. Let me give you an example of that. Sometimes we can come to church and we can have the wrong purpose. We can come to church for years and have the wrong purpose. What do you mean, Pastor? Sometimes you come to church and you think it's about what I get out of church. Per church, church isn't about what, how we receive when we come. Church is about how we reach when we come. It's about it's not for the ones that, that gather. That's not what church is for. Church isn't for us that gather and know Christ and, 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 and sing and praise and whatever. That, that's all good and fine. But church is for reaching those that we invite, those that we reach out and we do different things to bring in. That's what church, the church experience is for. And then, of course, you get the shot in the arm. You know that, you know, I can go on again, as Elmer would say, um, you know, I, without Sunday, I don't know. You know, I don't know how I'm going to do it. To get this shot in the arm you know, on, and with worship collectively. But church is for, we, and we have to remember, church, the church experience is for those we're trying to reach, not what you can receive and what I can receive out of it. And so that's why we expect you to come and serve and do things, set up, do things, give um, to help. But you don't have a mis, 
understanding that church is about you. Because if you think that church is about you, when I forget to say hello to you or hug you with my sweaty self after service, then you'll think, oh, God doesn't love me, pastor, doesn't, didn't even say hi. Or I didn't see my best friend today, so church has no value. And eventually you'll resist the thing that you found so irresistible. I'm teaching better than y'all looking. Winston Churchill said this, it's not enough to have lived, we should be determined to live for something. When we come to church and we, can, we experience God together collectively, we're living for something bigger. Than what, we're saying, what we're saying before God is, God, I'm living for something beyond myself. I'm living for you. I'm sacrificing for you. I'm giving up my time and my talent to you. So Paul went from doing all things wrong to doing all things right in the DR. That's what happened. And so he didn't wait for the summer to be over. He didn't wait to get his money right. When, when he had that experience with Jesus, he had a 24-hour change in one day. And the rest is history. The Bible writes about how much, not only did he just change and those that are around him was like taking notice, he wrote half of the New Testament. Oh, man. So here in Acts 9, we'll see further how Paul, who was Saul, was blinded by the light, which was Jesus' presence. But what happened was, it shows us how he saw from there. So in, in Acts 9, 18, it says, Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he, gained, he regained his sight, and then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Everybody say immediately. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the son of God. And it says that everybody was amazed. Everybody was amazed because they knew his life before and now they see his life now. Man, what Jesus challenges us to do and what Andy Stanley in his book, Irresistible, challenges us to do is to instantly see things differently as a Christian. Now, church, I'm, I'm, I love y'all. I love y'all. And, and, and for those who are listening online, I love you. Um, but some of you don't see things differently since you've been converted. Now, I don't expect everybody to change instantly. Your behavior doesn't change instantly. There's some things that God works on you with. But how you see things and how we do things, how we see it should change instantly. If you've had a spiritual conversion, you should spiritually see things differently. Say amen if you agree. All right, okay. If you don't see things differently, you still see them as your old way, then you probably weren't converted. You probably just had upset stomach and you were feeling something else. <laughs> you got relief with a Pepsi AC or something. When there's a conversion, Paul shows us in the text that he sees things differently. I'll prove it. This is what Jesus expects, Amy. When Jesus comes on the scene, he's the way. He's, he's presenting the way. They weren't called Christians at that point. When Jesus comes on the scene, he presents the way, a new way. And he's asking the temple leaders, those that are in charge, the religious leaders of the time, to see things differently. And I believe, I believe by challenging them to abandon what they knew in their religion upset a lot of them. 
So they resisted him at first. But it's funny that the religious leaders, religious leaders resisted Jesus, but everybody else, those who were not like Jesus, all started flocking to Jesus because uh, they all represented, the religious leaders represented the legalism of the time and the law. And, the law. Um, and, and Jesus comes and he comes with this grace. He comes with this grace. And so that those that were not like him, liked him. And those that were uh, with him fell in love with him even more. So he pulled from both sides. But he, cha- he, cha- he challenges um, the religious leaders to, to lay aside their religion, what they previously known. And I think that's critical. Because when we come to Christ, when we enter our faith, some of us still bring in our old ways. Yeah. You might not be familiar with church, but you remember how grandma and them used to talk, used to talk about it and used to do it. And we all grew up well, most of us, except some of the students, most of us grew up in the era of the Bible says so, so I believe it. But that doesn't work today because everybody's asking why, why, why. And so, you know, you, you have to have some concrete information to be able to share why these days. Um, but anyway, we all bring some some preconceived ideas and notions into our faith, um, which causes us sometimes to stumble down the road long term. So look, look what Jesus says in Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, 6, he says, he's talking to the religious leaders. He said, I tell you, just one verse, I tell you, there is no, there is one here who was even greater than the temple in the conversation that was, that was happening at the time. Jesus goes out on a limb. He said, there's someone here who's greater than the temple. Talking about himself. Game changer. Messed them up. They were like, wait, what? Marco, did you hear what he just said? Greater than the temple? See, in, in those days, the temple meant everything to Jewish life and Jewish culture. The temple was where everything happened and jumped off at. Everything surrounded by it was surrounded and uh, revolved around the temple. It, it was like saying, it was like saying to an adult child, those aren't really your parents. It was like saying, it was like saying when Jesus said, there's one here greater than the temple, it, was, it shocked them. It was, it was like saying to a sports fan, a fanatical sports fan to change teams. It was like saying to a politician, you got to leave your political party. This got everybody's attention in the synagogue that day. And what Jesus was saying, you have to see things differently now that I'm here. There's someone greater than what you guys are serving. And it's me. I am that I am. If you're willing to abandon abandon what you know, I believe your faith will grow as you go. I believe in your travels, your faith will grow as you go. Forgetting what you knew about religion in the past, but go by what God has, has, has started doing in your life and your heart since you've been converted. Don't go by pastor says so, so this is, therefore I believe it. No, your faith's got to outlast me. Since you've been converted, what has God been doing for you? What has God been showing you? You got to see things differently so you can stand on something. Let me fast forward. I know some of you want to get out to the beach. Um, What makes people go from resistible to irresistible, pastor? Um, In the first century, it wasn't the Bible. The Bible wasn't even formed yet. The canosity of the Bible was not agreed on yet to form the, to form the, can, the canon, the, the Bible. They, they just had the Torah. 
the first five books, the Pentateuch, however you want to call it. They just had the first five books and they would just read from those scrolls. So what made them go from irresistible first century believers, I mean resistible first century believers to irresistible? What made them change the world? What made them change lives in their, in their, in their houses and in, neighbor, in their neighborhoods and, and, and across the desert on the other side of the city? What made them change? I believe they all had an event in their lives that they, they can count back on and say, hey, this is what Jesus did for me. I had a conversion. And then secondly, I think it was the main event that changed their lives. And there's a documentation of that. So there are two, two events I want you to, to understand in a Christian's life. Conversion and resurrection. Everybody say conversion and resurrection. Which leads me to my second point. The resurrection allows us to value the experience of Jesus. You got to value your experience with Jesus. Then you got to value the experience of Jesus. And that's the resurrection. When people go to argue about your faith, it's hard to argue the documentation of the, reg- the resurrection. These are people that really live. The Bible, the Bible formed to document the events of the past. We don't live under, with the foundation of, I'm standing on the Bible. Don't get me wrong, I love my Bible, but we don't live standing on the B-I-B-L-E. We live and find our faith supported on, there was a resurrection that was different from any other idol, any other God, any other form of religion. There was a resurrection of one. There's two events in the believer's life that you have to stand on. And people can't argue with that. The resurrection that's documented of Jesus. And, and Paul says, there's only one thing that we can stand on as, as a Christian. He says, if this goes away, then everything else goes away. He said, if this goes away, there's no sense of even sharing Jesus anymore with anybody. It's a game changer. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. Nisha, your faith is useless. Your faith is useless. It's useless, Henderson. If there's if there's no if there's no documentation of the re- of the resurrection, if it never happened, if it if it never existed, then our faith has nothing else to stand on. We can hold up a book, but it all it all hinges on there was a resurrection of one. And and like some have said it more graciously than I. If someone was able to predict their, their death and their resurrection and then pull it off, I think I'd listen to everything that person has to say. And I don't know nobody else that can do it. Um, so in other words, what made Paul, what made Paul's decision to follow Christ was the resurrection and his celibate. In other words, I'll say it like this. There was something happened with, with Jesus and with me. And no one can take that away. There was something that happened with Jesus and with me. Your goal and my goal is to share what happened with you. What happened with you? 
man, I remember there was a day. Man, y'all don't know how I used to be before the baby. Y'all don't know how I used to be before I started going to church, before I started reading my Bible. But there was something that happened. There was something that happened. And people will be attracted to the, to the lifestyle they see. Man, they still have fun, but yet they go to church. I was talking to a kid at camp two weeks ago. You know, I gave you a little bit of camp history last week, and I'm almost done. I'm going to wrap it up with this. I was talking to a camp, a kid at camp. Man, he was such an intellectual. He came up to me with his little glasses on, and for the sake of um, saying this and on the app and on the Internet, I don't want to say his name. But um, afterwards, I, I saw him beelining up to me. He came up to me and put his hands on his hip. And, and the little man said, you know, Pastor, uh, or Lexi's dad, because that's what they call me. That was my nickname for the weekend, for the week. Uh, Lexi's dad, um, I would say I made a decision to follow Christ, I, I think, uh, a, a while a while ago. I said, man, little man, how old are you? He said, I'm 10. He said, I, I, I think I made a decision to follow Christ a while ago. And he grabbed it. He, he put his hands together. He said, but today I settled it. Today I settled it. I don't know how many adults talk like that. He said, I made a decision. I think I made a decision a while back. I, I'm pretty sure I, I did. He said, but today I settled it. I know I'm a Christian. I decided to follow Christ. And I thought, man, you're 10? And then we had some other talk. So I, I, I want, for those who feel like they're in their faith alone, and sometimes I know we can feel like we're walking this faith journey alone, I want you to know you're never alone. Um, when you feel doubts, you're never alone. Because Jesus says something to us that I want to reiterate to you, that you may be able to still find your faith irresistible, that you'll find God irresistible, that you will be irresistible when you feel like resisting. Because no doubt somebody's listening online or somebody's in this room and you're that far away from just giving up. That's what burdened me to even say we're going to do this series because I know some people are just a finger snap away from giving up, from their faith, turning their back and walking away. So when you feel insecure and when you feel alone, remember what Jesus says about you. And this is my final verse, and we're closing with this. Matthew 28, 20 says, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And to be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Maybe somebody here is, is feeling like, yeah, but pastor, I don't feel like he's with me all the time. Sometimes I feel like God has forgotten me because I haven't read my Bible in so long. Sometimes my prayers don't feel like they're ever being answered or effective or even heard. And I feel like my faith isn't useful. I don't want to tell you this, Pastor, but I really feel like resisting um, what I started. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes uh, I'll be the first to tell you I felt like that sometimes 
sometime in the past, I felt like, why? 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 But when I thought about how miserable I was before I met Christ, I know there's nothing to go back to. Because what do, what do you do? What do you do when you don't have him anymore? I wonder, with every head bowed, every eye closed, have you ever felt this way? Raise your hand. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want anyone looking around. Raise your hand. Amen, 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 amen. I want to pray for you. And maybe there's somebody here today who, who doesn't know Christ at all. I don't want to assume you all do. Maybe you say, you know what, Pastor, I want to I wanna take this time to see things differently. For whatever reason, I haven't been doing things the way I should have been doing when it comes to my faith. So I want to do things differently. I had no faith, maybe. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anybody? Amen. Amen. Would you pray after me? Everybody, every head bowed, every eye closed. For the for whichever group you were, would you would you just pray to you, to to the Lord? I'm gonna pray for the first group. Father, would you bless those who felt like giving up or currently are feeling like giving up? Would you help them, Lord, to see things differently, to follow the commands of Christ? And I know they won't be perfect and they'll still be dark around them, but Lord, you called them to be the light. Help them continue to shine their light. But, but more importantly, Lord, help them to see that they've partnered with you and you said you've never leave us nor forsake us even to the end of the age. For the second group, raise your hand. Lord, help them to see you as the ultimate source of life. And so I'll ask the second group to pray this prayer if they're serious about committing their life to Christ. Repeat in their hearts this prayer. Father, thank you for Jesus. Forgive me of where I am in my sins, but I thank you, Lord, in you, you give me another chance to start over again. Make my life new in Christ. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. In Christ's name I pray.